Welcome to ASD Engage, a podcast for families of children who are currently waiting for an autism spectrum disorder or ASD assessment. I'm Dr. Heidi Kiefer, a clinical child and adolescent psychologist. I'm Maureen Mosley, a psychometrist. And I'm Sean Brumby, also a psychometrist. We work on teams that assess children for ASD at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital. Each episode, we will present a topic that reflects concerns brought forward by families we work with. You'll hear information regarding the assessment process and insights and information from a variety of specialists. And more importantly, we'll talk directly to families who share some of their personal stories with us in an effort to help guide you through the assessment process. Many children with ASD have trouble with toilet training for a variety of reasons. As a result, they often take longer to train. In fact, research has shown that on average, children with ASD require 1.6 years of toilet training to stay dry during the day, and sometimes more than two years to achieve bowel control. So on today's episode, we've invited Ashani Jahagadir to join us to talk about her work with families of autistic children, specifically as it relates to toileting. So let's start, as we always do, by asking you to tell us what you do at Holland Bloorview. Sure. So I work as an occupational therapist with the communication, learning and behavior team, which means I work with um, our clinicians here to do some diagnostic assessments as well as to do occupational therapy assessments and consultations with families, which really just means helping to support them with everyday functioning related concerns. Right. So toilet training is one of the main ones that comes up all the time. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've been involved in the design and delivery of a workshop that's geared specifically towards toileting strategies for parents of autistic children. Um, so can you maybe give us an overview of what you cover in that workshop? Sure. Yeah, so like you mentioned, toilet training is a big challenge for a lot of the kids we see, right? It takes them a lot longer to get toilet trained than we see with other typical kids. So a lot of that workshop is geared towards talking about, so what are the challenges that we see? And then talking about strategies to extra strategies that may be needed to work with this population to get to toilet training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, can you describe for us some of the challenges that parents are experiencing with respect to their child's toileting? Sure. So a lot of the common ones we see is one of the main things we see with children with ASD is oftentimes they can have delays with expressive and receptive language, which means, you know, when you're when you're saying things to them, they may not necessarily understand at the level you might expect. So when you say, OK, it's time to go to the bathroom, they may not be processing that language. So one of the things we talk about is communication strategies, right, to help support the language delay. The other thing we see is motor delays. So there's research showing that a, a high percentage of kids with ASD also present with motor delays, right? And you don't really think about toilet training as a motor skill, but when you really think about it, there's so much that goes into it from you have to pull your pants down, put them back up. You have to even support yourself sitting up on the toilet and then washing your hands. So there are a lot of motor components which go into it, which can impact toilet training as well. And the other thing we see a lot is sensory difficulties, so things with sensory processing. Um, there's so much going on in that bathroom that our kids aren't used to, and a lot of times if they're showing differences in the way they process some of those things, that can result in anxiety or challenges going to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. 
The other really big thing that we see is, is, is really just that self-regulation piece, right? So a lot of our kids, you know, when you try to start toilet training, parents will say, oh, like they just have a big tantrum when you try to take them to the bathroom. And a lot of times that's actually related to that dysregulation, right? So it could be a difficulty transitioning. It's actually not that they are having tantrums or it's not really a behavioral thing. It's their response to having to do that challenging transition, which they're not used to because it's not a part of their regular routine yet. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things we forget is that these kids have been doing it this way. They've been going pee or poo in their diaper for two, three, four years. And now all of a sudden we're asking them to do something different. They don't understand why. Yeah. I think it's such a big drastic change for them that we have to really work on that transition and that regulation piece as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting and so complex, right? Um Oftentimes, these kinds of workshops can take on a life of their own, right, with respect to the content. Have you found that the content of your workshops evolved from feedback that parents have been giving you? Absolutely. I think the more we talk about these things, the more things come up, right? And a lot of times parent feedback is so important because really the reason we do them is to support families. So, of course, we want to hear what they're saying. And and a lot of the content, actually, some of the tangible strategies that we provide is little nuggets of information that I've picked up from families. Yeah, yeah. So can you give us some examples of some tips or techniques that you've learned from families? Can you think of any? Yeah, of course. So uh, there's lots of little examples there. One of the ones I learned early on was from, so we talked about sensory challenges earlier on. I was working with a family and the child was having a really hard time with the wiping piece. Mm -hmm. Something about the texture of what they were using before just wasn't working for them. Like wet wipes can be so cold and feel yucky to some kids. So I was introduced to the wipe warmer, which is a very lovely device that you can use to warm up your wipes and then it doesn't feel so cold and yucky. And with that device, it was life changing. The kid had no problems with the wiping. Wow. And I've never heard of such a thing. Wow. That's crazy. Excellent. Um, So Ashani, are there any facts that you find parents are often unaware of with respect to toileting or any misconceptions? Yeah, I mean, I think we're just used to thinking about toilet training as such a regular part of life and I think parents don't always realize what a drastic change it actually is for their kids right and and especially for the kids we work with it really is I almost think about it as a behavior change I think about like how many times have I tried to change the way I eat or the way I do exercise and it takes time and it takes a lot of effort and resources and I think that's something we don't necessarily realize just because oh toilet training is just another thing like eating It is, but initially to get to that point, it can take a lot. And that's one of the things I always talk about too is parent readiness, right? Because it takes so much time and resources and energy. Sometimes you think, you know, okay, I want my child to be toilet trained because I don't want to be using all these diapers and they're expensive. And yeah, absolutely. But I think parent readiness is a big component of it because like I said, it does take a lot of resources. So sometimes if you're working extra hours or if there's a big change in the family dynamic or you're moving it may not be the best time I think that's something that maybe doesn't come up often is really thinking about that like are we as a family ready to do this is it a good time because you don't want to make it a stressful experience right you want to keep it positive and fun Mm -hmm. you don't want to traumatize everyone involved right yeah yeah for sure Um, And can you talk about the general recommended approach to toileting and how that differs for children with ASD? 
mature. So usually, you know, you start off with getting your kid used to going to the bathroom, right? So you introduce them to the toilet or a potty. Um, a lot of families will start off with potties as a transition. Um, you take them to the bathroom, you get them used to it, and you, there's little readiness things that you can look for, right? Like, does my child stay dry through a nap? Um, do they indicate in some way that they're uncomfortable when they wet their diaper or they try to take it off or um, they're able to sit up straight or follow simple directions? We don't always see all of these readiness signs with the kids that we work with, kids on the spectrum. It doesn't mean that they're not ready. It just means they're not communicating it in the same way, right? So we shouldn't be waiting to see all of those signs with our kids before we start. Um, and then, and really because of the challenges that we see with this population, it does require extra teaching, explicit strategies that we use. So we'd recommend, you know, just starting with setting up the environment. We really want our kids to feel safe and secure and supported, especially because we do see some challenges with even that sensory piece. One of the things that we can see is kids can feel a sense of insecurity when they're sitting up and like fear of falling. And I, I always think of it too, I tell parents, you know, imagine somebody is taking you to this big well of water that's meant for someone three times your size, asking you to sit on the edge and then do something. I always say like, you're going to be so afraid of falling in. You're not really going to focus on your body. You're just going to be holding on for dear life, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So even just setting up that environment so that, you know, get yourself a little footstool and get yourself a little reducer seat. Some kids may need even a bar to hold on to. And with that type of equipment, you're going to make sure that right off the bat, they feel secure, they feel stable, and then they can actually focus on what they're doing rather than not falling or feeling afraid, right? Um, and then the other thing we say is to really make toileting part of your schedule. And for different families, different things can work, right? So... Some families find it really helpful to just go on a timed schedule where they'll go every half an hour or every hour or two, go to the bathroom, try, sit, and then just through that process, kids will learn. A lot of the times what some families find helpful is to use kind of what we call an elimination schedule, which really is working with the kid and their body. The idea is that every half an hour or so you take your kid to the bathroom and you're taking your you're, sorry you're checking their diaper and the idea is you're taking data so for for three days four days a week you check the diaper and you note down you know at this half hour interval are they wet are they dry is there you know urine or bowel and based on this data you can then do fancy math so take the hours that you've checked divide by the number of wet and really it helps you see when the kid is going and then that's the time interval you would use to take your kid to the bathroom. So it's really individualized to the kid and it can be really helpful because mm -hmm. what we really want to do is we want to increase the chance of catching a success, right? Because when, we when you take them at the right times and then you have a success, you have a greater chance of reinforcing that success, which is another big strategy we talk about. Is reinforcement is how we learn, right? And especially with kids uh, with ASD, reinforcement is a really helpful teaching strategy. And I mean, for, for all of us, right? We follow that ABCs of behavior. The behavior is what you, what you do. The A is what comes right before to make that behavior happen. And then the C is the consequence that happens right after. So I mean, like for me, I come to work and I get paid. That's the consequence, the reinforcement for that behavior. And for kids, when we're teaching them new skills, you want to 
reward the behavior that you want to see more of. So when you take them to the bathroom at the right time and you catch a success and you reinforce that, you're increasing the likelihood that they'll have a success in the bathroom again. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's a big strategy we talk about is reinforcement and how to do that reinforcement, how to pick reinforcers, Mm -hmm. um, all of that. And then I think the other thing too is thinking about what your kid is wearing and diapers are so wonderful because they're so absorptive and they make all of our lives so much easier they're so convenient however the other they're almost too good at what they do they're so absorptive that kids don't really get a sense that anything has even happened and sometimes that can really take away from that natural reinforcement right so we'll often suggest trying to eliminate diapers and instead wearing underwear because what happens is when when your child goes they feel that yuckiness or that wetness and that sensation is really helpful for oh something has happened now I need to go to the bathroom right and over time that's kind of how that learning happens and I totally appreciate that this creates a lot more mess and so we, we also often say you know if it's easier for you wear the underwear underneath the diaper right so you still have that catching the mess but you also have the feeling the sensation And there's lots of like training panties available on the market too that families have found really helpful. Mm -hmm. Those are some great tips. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Um, So from our previous episodes, we've learned that oftentimes parents need to rule out any medical issues or underlying conditions that might be attributing to some of the difficulties um, their children might be experiencing. Is it the same with respect to toileting? Yeah, of course. It's such a good point because we can do all of these strategies and at the end of the day, if there's a medical issue, we're probably not going to get anywhere, right? So one of the big things we see is constipation and we do see it a lot with kids with ASD. A lot of the times there's feeding issues and diet and and yeah, so that piece of it, we, we definitely want a, pedi- a pediatrician involved if there is something like that. So constipation is a big one and the other thing that we can see is um, you, a uh, you bladder infection that can have an impact, um, neurogenic bladder, which is kind of losing control of your bladder. Um, so yeah, so definitely you'd want to rule out those medical issues before you really work on toilet training as a skill. So is there anything that our parents should be looking for? Like, uh, if you're thinking about starting toileting or toilet training with your child, should they then just go to the doctor to ensure that everything's okay or are there certain things that they should be looking for that might be red flags that they do need to go see the doctor before they start toilet training to ensure there are no medical issues yeah it's a good question i think some of the things come up at the checkups that pediatricians do at the developmental checkups a lot of the times you know questions around how often is your child going and you you can kind of see that as a parent right when you're changing diapers and stuff how often are they going what does their stool look like does it look like it's really effortful and painful when they're going Um, if there's anything that maybe is unexpected, right? So, I mean, I've had families that I've worked with who say, you know, their kid was four, almost five years old and had never had a bowel movement while they were awake, only when asleep. And Mm. if there's things like that, that maybe are unusual, definitely that would be a Mm -hmm. cue to talk to your pediatrician. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So yeah. usually these things are picked up in the general checkups then? Typically, yeah. yeah. yeah if, if it looks like your kid is having a lot of trouble and, again, there's that discomfort or pain that you wouldn't necessarily expect, then definitely. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, and is there a specific age when you recommend parents start toilet training their child? I think that's the question that comes up a lot, and mm -hmm. it's a little bit hard to answer because every child is so different and unique, and I think it depends on so many factors that really kind of the best practice is if you're seeing some of those readiness signs, if you as a family are ready, if you're motivated, try. And, and then, you know, if it looks like it's not going anywhere, then take a break and try again later. Right? Mm -hmm. I, 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 unfortunately, I don't have a magic number, but... That typically seems to be the way it goes. Yeah. Is there such a thing as too early to try? I think it can. I think, yeah, I think there can be because what you don't really want is when your kid is really not developmentally ready and you try to push it on them, you don't want to create almost a fear of the bathroom and you don't want to create almost a traumatic experience and then your kid is later resistant to the bathroom, right? Yeah. So I think there can be. Yeah. Which is, yeah, a really good point, too. Because I feel like there's a bit of a fine line, isn't there, about in terms of toilet training? Because you hear some parents talk about how it could be quite traumatizing for their child. So, you know, and yet other times you have to be quite persistent with it. It's it's a real fine line to travel down. Absolutely. Right? It just makes it so hard to talk about, too, right? Yeah. I wish there was such a an easy answer, like, yes, do this, and you'll be fine. But unfortunately, yeah. that's not how it works. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, we know that children with ASD often have the sensory sensitivities that you were referring to earlier. And often these can interfere with their abilities to do daily activities that many of us take for granted. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the sensory sensitivities or behaviors that you see in these children and how it affects their toilet training? Sure. So the bathroom, if you think about it, is a very different environment than anything else your child might be used to. So thinking about, you know, the different stimuli that are in the bathroom, so a lot of kids can be very sensitive to touch, right? So even something as simple as going into the bathroom, sometimes the floor is a lot colder because the tiles can be colder, right? So some some kids that I've worked with find it really helpful to wear socks and then they go to the bathroom or even house slippers or something. Mm -hmm. And the other tactile thing that can come up is the toilet seat. It can be cold and hard and so some families have had great success with using padded seats or different types of things you can get to work on that, right? Some kids find it helpful even to just put toilet paper on there and then they're able to sit on it, no problem. Um, so it's a little bit of trial and error. The other thing that comes up a lot is with kids who have sensitivity to sounds, the sound of the flush is a really big one, yeah. right? And different strategies you can use, um, but it can be something that they respond very strongly to, to the point that they may actually refuse to go to the bathroom because they know that that's what's coming, right? And you see it a lot in public bathrooms with the sound of the hand dryer too, a lot of kids will avoid that. Mm -hmm. um, so different things can work there. Again, I think one thing is to one thing that kids find really helpful is to know what to expect, right? So if even if even something as simple as, okay, we're going to flush the toilet now. Let's count down, and that countdown, so they know when exactly it's going to happen, can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, for some kids, a more gradual exposure approach is helpful. So maybe, okay, you do everything in the bathroom, and then when it's time to flush, you can wait outside the bathroom 
I'll flush. And then gradually you would work on, okay, now you stand in the doorway. Now you come a little closer. Now let's do it together. Right. And for some kids, just like playing music helps to kind of balance that out a little bit, too. So that's great. Some really good tips, though. Yeah. Mm. Routines are also such an important component of children's daily activities. And we often hear from parents that these routines offer a sense of comfort to their kids. Um, So what tips do you have for parents to help their child manage the changes that toilet training can impose on their routines on their daily lives? That's a great question. Yeah, I think a lot of our kids do really well with comfortable, predictable routines, mm-hmm. right? So, so again, when we think about kind of the timing of toilet training, sometimes it can be it's really helpful to incorporate it as part of your morning getting ready routine when you're coming home from school routine. Like these different building it into your daily routines is really helpful. So it's a part of that routine, and it's not just a change suddenly that you're imposing, right? And the the other part of it too is when we think about these changes a lot of times parents will ask should I use a potty or should I go straight to the toilet and it's not really an issue that comes up typically however with a lot of kids that we work with if they already have a really hard time with transitions that potty can be an extra transition that makes it really challenging to Mm -hmm. then transition again to the toilet you've put all this hard work into toilet training on the potty and now you have to do it all over for Mm -hmm. the toilet so for some of our kids, we recommend just don't use the potty at all. Just go straight to the toilet because of that extra transition, right? Yeah, skip that one step. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And speaking of transitions, that's the other part that can be helpful for the self-regulation piece too is for a lot of our kids, transitions during the day can be tricky. So using something as simple as a little transition object or transition song and then using that to transition to the bathroom can make that a little bit easier in their day-to-day so how do you use a transition object? Describe that. What does that look like? Sure. So it can be, you know, if your kid is playing and doing something and, and then they don't want to leave what they're doing to go to the bathroom, understandably what they're doing is way more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, using that transition object, so you just give it to them and they take that object to the bathroom. So you're using it as a transition between one environment to the other, but that object is staying consistent. So it just helps, right? So put down what you're doing, this toy, take this other toy. And a lot of times what's really helpful, and we use this a lot in therapy groups when we're transitioning to, is pop tubes. They're the little fun, noisy tubes, right? So it's, okay, time to go to the bathroom. And you want to tell. You don't really want to ask because you don't want to open it up for no as an answer it's not a negotiation yeah (laughs) Yeah, this is what we're doing and then you take your transition object and then with that object you can kind of play with it as you walk to the bathroom and it just helps make that transition a little smoother yeah that's a great idea so prior to today's recording you were talking about the importance of consistency in toilet training and also um, you discussed today a little bit about parent readiness Um, what do these terms mean exactly and how are they related Consistency is, I think, really important when we're teaching skills in general. But yeah, for toilet training, it's a really important factor to consider. And consistency between caregivers, between different environments. So if you are doing toilet training, you know, it's totally fine to just pick one environment. So I'm only going to toilet train at home or only at daycare. However, if you are going to, if you have the capacity and everyone's on board to use multiple environments, then it's really important to have consistency between those two environments, right? Because otherwise that teaching is going to get very confusing if you're doing one thing in one place, one thing in another. 
Um, so you want that consistency between environments and then even within a home for different caregivers to be using the same approach is really important because you want to really teach that skill and make sure your child knows this is what we're doing. This is the expectation kind of, you know, using reinforcers the same way um, that can play a big part in that. And then parent readiness, really just making sure that this is a good time to be toilet training and we have the resources, we have the time. It can be time intensive, it can be resource intensive, it takes a lot of energy, it can be exhausting. So making sure you have all of those resources. Um, and again, like if there are going to be multiple people, people involved, then do they all have that capacity and are they able to engage in the process? And I guess that's how they're kind of connected too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which leads to the next question we were going to ask. How do you ensure the consistency then if you have done the toilet training successfully even at home and then your child starts school? Um, Or they're in daycare and it's very difficult to coordinate and maintain that consistency. What suggestions do you have for parents? Yeah, it's a good question. It can be very challenging, right? Because there's so many different pieces involved there. Um, I think one thing to remember is what are the strategies you used in that environment that were helpful and then really having a strong communication plan to bring that over to the new environment. So like we talked about how language can be a challenge for some of our kids. So what is the language you used and then staying consistent? If one person is using potty, if one person is using toilet it's going to get confusing right so we want to use the same consistent language make sure it is simple enough to be to to be at the child's level Um, and then one thing that we haven't talked about yet is using visual schedules which is another strategy we often recommend because visual schedules are so helpful to help our kids visualize the steps of a task to really communicate clearly those expectations um, and to help them see what's coming next so Mm -hmm. If you do have a visual schedule at home, then using that same one at school or at daycare can be really helpful, another way to ensure that consistency, right? And mm-hmm. and so all the strategies that you're using at home, really communicating those and if possible, using the same materials and things that you're using in the other environment too can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And what about the actual physical environment for the child, like changing from using the toilet at home to using a toilet even in a public restroom or at school is that an issue for a lot of our children it can be for some I think the idea is that when you get used to it more and more it becomes a little bit easier but sometimes we do say that when you are toilet training do expose your kids to other bathrooms right if you're visiting grandma take a bathroom trip if yeah. you're out sometimes the public bathrooms can be trickier again because there's so much more stimulation and for kids who are like very sensitive to different stimuli it can be harder um, but definitely exposing them to different environments is can be helpful. Yeah. Um, and again, if there is a lot of difficulty, then thinking about what is it about those environments that's challenging and seeing if we can do some problem solving, right? So for public bathrooms, some kids will find noise-canceling headphones or ear defenders really helpful because if it's the sound, then how can we work on that? Mm-hmm. I have another question that's going to sound probably odd but do children have to be toilet trained before they can attend school I'm so glad you asked that question it comes up all the time and I think there's a little bit of misinformation about that out there they don't 
Um, a lot of parents think that they do need to be, and, and honestly, it does make life a lot easier when they are, and I totally can appreciate that from both sides, right, from the schools and the parents' side. Um, it does make life a lot easier. However, they don't have to be, and actually what we find is a lot of times they have success when they get to school and if they're working on toilet training in that environment and the right resources are in place for them then that can be a good environment to continue working on those skills too mm-hmm. because I have heard some parents come back and say no I my child can't go to school because they've not been toilet trained absolutely yeah so, we've seen that too and that's not the case Good to know. Yes, good to know. If that's the only reason and you think they can't go because of that, then no, I would say have a conversation with the school. And definitely you need to have a good communication plan in place and you may have to send extra clothes and whatnot to the school depending on what the plan is and if they're going to be working on that there. But it shouldn't be a reason that they can't go. Perfect. Thank you. Um, And so earlier you were talking about the importance of communication and visual schedules. Um, but what are some specific strategies you can suggest for parents of children who aren't yet speaking and therefore can't communicate that they need a diaper change or when they need to go to the washroom? Are there any other strategies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely, you know, language is such a big thing in our everyday life and we use language to do a lot of our teaching and communication in general. But again, it shouldn't be a barrier to toilet training. Just because your child isn't speaking doesn't mean we can't do toilet training. Um, Different strategies you can use, a lot of families, you know, will use pictures. So picture cards can be really helpful, a card that just has a picture of a bathroom on it or a toilet on it. And then that's your way of indicating, okay, we're going to the toilet. Um, The other thing is using very consistent, simple language to communicate what you're saying. And then again, everybody involved should be using that same language. And then signs and symbols are another good one, right? So using a sign to indicate the bathroom is another way of doing that. The visual schedules, like you mentioned, definitely are helpful as well, especially we were talking earlier about the importance of incorporating it into your daily routines. If that toilet picture is incorporated into that visual schedule, then that's another way of communicating that that's what we're going to be doing. Okay, and so is the goal to have um, the child give the symbol to the adult to indicate that they have to go, or is it more to help with the transition or both? I think it depends on what stage of the training you're at, right? So initially, it's probably going to be adult-driven because even with any kid, initially, it's going to be us initiating and saying, okay, it's time to go to the bathroom. Over time, you can work on teaching the child to initiate, to ask for that, right? But initiation sometimes doesn't come until later anyway. And it's a really good point because a lot of times as parents, parents get very used to reading their kids and anticipating their needs, right? So you can kind of read your child and if they do a little pee dance or if they hold their diaper or they even, you know, look a little uncomfortable, they get a little look on their face and you know that that's usually what they do right before they go. That's a great time to then take the card and if that's what you're using, then hand it to them and say, okay, we're going to the bathroom and then go. And over time, the hope is that by doing that over and over again, then eventually the child will learn that that's how they initiate. And do you have, um, as part of your workshop, um, do you have any like symbols or visual schedules that would be available for parents that we could put on our website? Yeah, absolutely. Or any handouts or anything that might be useful? Yeah. Yeah, Autism Treatment Network has some great resources that they've put together, and we also can link to some of the visual schedules that we provide to families for sure. That's great. Yeah, we'll put them on the website. 
Okay, you've talked a little bit about self-regulation. Uh, so we kind of wanted to go back there again. What does self-regulation mean with respect to toileting? There's so much that goes into regulating ourselves, right? Self-regulation is really how you respond to things that come up in daily life. And it's so easy for some of our kids to become dysregulated depending on the factors and the environment and what's happening. And a lot of the things that we've talked about can play a big role in that, right? So that self-regulation is so key because you want your child to be calm and alert and ready to engage and learn because if they're not, then we're not really going to get anywhere with learning. And a big part of that is co-regulation because a lot of our little ones need help with that self-regulation. They haven't quite developed it yet. So as a caregiver, being calm and patient yourself can be a big part of it too, right? Because if you're Mm -hmm. anxious and upset and frantic and getting ready and rushing and kids will really pick up on that and it may not be very helpful in that moment. But little things, right? So supporting successful, facilitating smooth transitions, that can help with that self-regulation piece. And then some of our kids, you know, just getting into the bathroom is so challenging, but really thinking about what is that challenge? Is it a sensory component? Is it a fear and kind of problem solving around that to help, you know, do we need calming strategies? Do we need to have a drink of water or sing a song or anything to really make that Uh, to work on that self-regulation piece. Then the other thing we talk about quite often is a lot of our kids have a hard time sitting on the toilet, right? And so sometimes the initial goal is just getting to the toilet and then the next little goal can be we sit on the toilet for 10 seconds and for some kids even that's a really big deal, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some strategies that we can use to encourage that? So maybe, you know, the attention isn't great. So sitting on the toilet, doing nothing for even 10 seconds is really hard for some kids. So maybe we introduce some quiet preferred activities that they can do while they're sitting to encourage that sitting. So a lot of kids will like look through books or blow some bubbles or just do a quiet activity. Not too stimulating because I don't want them to be so involved in it and wrapped up in it that they forget to pay attention to their body. But something that will help them sit, right, and achieve that goal and still be calm and ready to learn. So are, like, screens maybe not the best choice to use on the toilet? Or Again, I think it depends on the child and it depends on their response to the screen, right? And if it's going to be something that's then going to be really challenging to transition them away from, then I wouldn't recommend that either, right? If they get so wrapped up in it or if then you can't take it away, then it may not be the best But I know families do use it quite successfully, too. I think it really just depends on the child's response. So you want it to be something where they can still, they're not totally zoned out. They're still able to pay attention to what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think like one thing that comes up a lot with some of the kids we work with is their introception, which is their sense of, you know, how do we read our body cues and respond to them? And a lot of times we see with kids with ASD that their sense of introception is poor so they can't actually tell when they feel hungry they don't know when they need to go to the bathroom as easily as others might so I don't really want to take away from that even more by providing something for them to pay attention to that's yeah that's going to be a distraction from that mm-hmm. there's also a lot of um, toileting books out there too like that I've heard parents use and so is that a good opportunity to like have a a special book that the child reads on the toilet about toileting is that a good strategy or a helpful thing to do 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think using books about toileting is a great way, even before you start toilet training can be great because again, you're preparing the child. And when we think about the kids we work with, preparing them for anything that's coming up is so helpful for them, right? And it's a great way for them to learn what the expectations are, what they're going to be doing, and helping them see it in a different context helps to normalize it too, right? So they see in the book the child or the animal or whoever is doing that. That's what I'm going to be doing. And on that note, I think the other great thing to do, that teaching strategy, another teaching strategy could be modeling yourself as a caregiver, right? So if your child sees you doing it, then again, they're learning through observation. Um, There also are a lot of great videos and social stories available that you can use, which is another really good teaching tool. There's good research showing that with a behavioral approach, when you combine that with use of videos and social stories, it's actually really effective for toilet training. And there's so many available now on the internet. You can YouTube, you know, social story, Pirate Pete, and there's a whole thing where kids can watch and learn, and yeah, yeah it's great. Oh, that's great. All right. Um, Are there any differences in toilet training across genders for boys and girls? Do you see any... Um, differences. Yeah, I think sometimes we can see that boys are a little bit later to toilet train than girls. Especially we see it with nighttime training as a lot of times kids in general won't really nighttime train until five, six, seven, and that's fine. But with that too, you see boys can be a little bit later. Okay, interesting. Is there anything else you think parents need to know with respect to toileting? Maybe I'll talk a little bit more about something that we touched on earlier, which is that reinforcement piece. And I think, you know, it isn't really intuitive how it might relate to toilet training. So we do spend some time talking about it in our sessions. So I'll maybe touch on a few concepts there. So we talked about reinforcement as a teaching strategy and using it to teach. So you want to see a behavior, you use reinforcement to encourage more of it. So how that kind of looks in practice is your, you know, for kids, if your initial goal is sitting on the toilet, then even for sitting on the toilet, you want to provide lots of praise. So reinforcement can just be verbal, right? So you can do a lot of verbal praising. You can really celebrate, clap. That's reinforcement. And you're teaching your kid that that's, these are good job and they're more likely to do it again. In terms of tangible reinforcers, we also talk about that a lot is what is a good reinforcer and it really should be something that's going to be very motivating to the child so I often say you know let's make a list of things your kid likes you know even their favorite tv shows or their favorite animals list of things that they like and thinking about how we can incorporate that into a reinforcer right and it doesn't have to be the one toy that they get all the time it can be a variety and oftentimes a lot of our kids really benefit from that novelty and variety so some families will have a little box that they create which is their rewards box for toileting and then they have different things in there and every time their kid is successful they get to choose from that box which is really helpful for that again variety piece right Mm -hmm. and the reinforcer should be provided immediately after because otherwise it's not as effective so immediately after And the other key thing about the reinforcer is you want it to be something that's available exclusively for toilet training. If they have access to it at any other time, then they're not really going to be motivated to do the toileting to get it, right? And again, with reinforcement, parents always ask, well, I don't really want to give my kid a Smartie every time they go to the bathroom. I just have to keep buying Smarties forever. And it's such a good point. 
But the idea of reinforcement is we're using it as a teaching tool. And so gradually over time, we do want to fade it, right? So you're using it a lot initially. As your kid gets more and more successful, you want to fade it back more and more. So initially, you may use that Smarty or whatever you're using every time your kid is sitting on the toilet. Over time, when they're getting good at sitting, you can use it every other time and then every third time. And then you, as you change the goals, you may have to play around with that reinforcement schedule again. So now if we're reinforcing for success on the toilet, then again, you may have to use it more regularly again and then again work on that process of fading it back. Mm-hmm. So it's really baby steps, isn't it, mm-hmm. in terms of what you're reinforcing, like one behavior at a time. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and and I think it's a different way of thinking because in our heads as adults, we think of toilet training as one step in the day, whereas for our little ones, we really should be breaking it down into very small steps, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought something so simple can just be so complex, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, well, thank you so much, Ashani, for giving us the time, and you've given us so many tips and techniques, I think, that going to be very valuable for a lot of our parents so thanks for joining us today thank you it was my pleasure thanks for having me if you've listened to this episode and have comments or ideas that you'd like to share with us regarding future episodes or what you heard today feel free to email us at asdengage at hollandbloorview.ca